All right. Christmas Day is over. Yeah. And by the looks of some of your faces, I know where, you're, where this is going because some of us have already taken down the decorations. Some of us have already gone back to work. Many of us have experienced some kind of Christmas, maybe like a Christmas aftermath of some point. If you're like me, my house is a complete wreck right now. The kitchen's still destroyed from baking and cooking things. Uh, my, they didn't pick up my recycling this week, so my recycling bin's overflowing with boxes and wrapping paper and all of that fun stuff. Uh, Some of us gained a little bit of weight this week, maybe. So we've all experienced some kind of aftermath. Kids, I know you don't want to go back to school, but some of you might actually be getting a little bored by now as well. Like, we don't like what happens after Christmas. Um, These are just some minor issues. There's actually been some major things, if you look through history, of things that have happened right after Christmas. On December 26th, there's been a number of wars that have broken out or have come to their pinnacle in battle. Uh, There was a war in 1914 where actually on Christmas Day, the French, the Scottish, and the German armies all took a break from Christmas, or took a break for Christmas and did it unofficially, but then they had to resume after that. Um, a couple other dates. In 1862 was the largest mass hanging on December 26th in U.S. history, uh, right here in Minnesota. In 1948, on December 26th, the leader of the Catholic Church in Hungary was arrested and tortured for his anti-communist views. And on December 26th, more recently, 1994, an Air France flight was hijacked by terrorists. These are just a few things if you were to look up this date uh, in history and see what happened. We love to anticipate the coming of Christmas, and then we celebrate its arrival, and then December 26th hits. And if we're not on vacation... We feel some sort of aftermath. I know my, my family is one that loves to just elongate it. My dad was a pastor, and, and uh, at times he liked to encourage the liturgical season, which uh, next Sunday is Epiphany, the end of the Christmas season. Uh, and so we would stretch that out as much as we could. Some years we open gifts every single day of the 12 days of Christmas leading up to Epiphany. And uh, I first realized people, some people don't like to elongate that season. Uh, when my wife, uh, uh, Whitney, at the time we were dating, and the first time I went home with her for Christmas, we uh, opened gifts and had so much fun on Christmas Day. And then on the 26th, the next day, I came down that morning, and there was no decorations anywhere. The tree was completely gone. I was like, what happened to Christmas? And Whitney was like, oh, yeah. My mom doesn't like when Christmas is over. And so she gets up early and takes everything down because it depresses her to think about how Christmas is over. Like, we don't like what happens after Christmas. And this is so much that we even skip the next part of the Christmas story. This is the, the, the part of the Christmas story that comes next that we like to include. We even revise a little bit. We take the wise men and, and turn this, what turns into an R-rated story, into a G-rated version that maybe sits in our living room or under our Christmas tree with a blonde-haired, blue-eyed baby Jesus smiling where the wise men are hanging out with the shepherds in this wooden open-air barn, which really isn't how it happened. Uh, but we like to do it that way. Uh, over the holiday season here at City Church, we have, we've kind of made our own uh, liturgical messages coming up with Advent and with Christmas uh, as we've talked about the journey to Bethlehem. So today, uh, the assignment that was given for today, this what's known as Christmas Sunday, uh, we're going to look at the not-so-popular part 
of the Christmas story. So Merry Christmas, everyone. I hope you enjoy this. Um, I want to look, we're going to look at a longer passage today. So we, because part of the story, even I have always looked over and never really paid much attention to. So um, turning your Bibles, or you're also welcome just to listen along, but turn, turning your Bibles to 1569, because we are going to uh, read this one in Luke. And then, uh, and then we'll jump back to Matthew which I'll leave those page numbers up there for you guys. And you're, like I said, you're welcome just to listen as long as well, but I'm not going to put them on the screen because they're a little, little lengthier. So this is literally right after the, the Christmas Eve story. Verse 21. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he was conceived. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male shall be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem named Simeon. He was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light of revelation to the Gentiles in the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel, and is to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul, too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying, coming up to them at that very moment. She gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. And then jump back to Matthew 2. I'm not going to read the entire chapter. I'm going to skip around a little, so um, hang with me. I'll give you the verses as we jump through them. We'll start at verse 1 in Matthew chapter 2. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed in all Jerusalem with him. So Herod with others plot to find the baby, and Herod tries to trick the Magi at this point into telling him once they find the baby. Jump to verse 11. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gold, gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. 
when they had gone, the angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream. Get up, he said. Take the child and his mother and escape to Egypt. Stay there until I tell you, for Herod is going to search for the child to kill him. Verse 16. When Herod realized that he had been outwitted by the Magi, he was furious, and he gave orders to kill all the boys in Bethlehem, its vicinity, who were two years old and under. And skip to 19. After Herod died, an angel of the Lord appeared in a dream to Jerusalem and Egypt and said, Get up, take the child and his mother, and go to the land of Israel, for those who were trying to take the child's life are dead. So he got up, took the child and his mother, and went to the land of Israel. When they heard that Archelaus was reigning in Judea in the place of his father Herod, he was afraid to go there. And then having been warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee, and he went and lived in a town called Nazareth. So there's so much stuff going on here. Like it's hard to like really decide what is it we want to talk about. So I want to narrow it down to just two things. So one, why do we need this part of the Christmas story? And then two, how can the involved characters in this story answer that question? So uh, I've broken this down, and as we, if you look at these characters, you're going to see uh, a pattern that happens in three steps. One, we're going to see that there's an obedience and a dedication to God with each character that this hits. There's going to be a recognition of some kind of Jesus, and then there's a disruption, a disruption brought by Jesus. So what do I mean by disruption? According to Google, the definition of disruption is a disturbance or, or problems that interrupt an event, activity, or process. A disturbance or problems that interrupt events, activities, and processes. So let's look at Mary and Joseph at their obedience and their dedication. At Christmas, we're most familiar with the Luke account. And like I said, we picked up today right where Luke left off in the Christmas Eve story. And he picks up right away with, on the eighth day, when it came to circ- time to circumcise the child, and then he goes on and lists all these different rituals. So it's like, this is kind of a weird thing to put in right after our Christmas story, right? So why is that there? Well, this is showing that Mary and Joseph are obedient to God. Like, they followed the law that God gave to Moses. They could have easily said, we can't do that right now. The census is going on. Things are crazy. We're traveling. We don't have the money to do that. There's so much going on. And it's just not convenient for our family to do this. But they still took the time and found the means to be dedicated and obedient. And then we're introduced to Simeon. And right away we're told about his obedience and dedication because it says right away that he was righteous and devout. He had been waiting for the coming Savior of his people. He had been waiting for the Messiah. He had no idea who the Messiah would be, and he had, he, but he did know he would see the Messiah in his lifetime. So he, spent, he may have spent lots of time around the temple, and he may have gone to a lot of these, these, in a sense, baby dedications. And when Jesus came in, he recognized him. He knew that this baby, that this one, was the Messiah. And so he goes, and he gives this word that is the disruption of Jesus. He proclaims and exclaims what will happen. He says, Jesus will be the Savior for everyone. Wait a minute. We're God's people. The Messiah is supposed to be our Savior, and you're saying it's for everyone? Like, that's a disruption. And then he says, Jesus will call the falling and the rising of Israel. Hold on, because the Messiah is supposed to create the rising of our great nation of Israel once again and put it back in its place. 
And you're saying there's going to be falling? Like that's a disruption. Jesus will cause the thoughts of many hearts to be revealed. That one's uncomfortable to me even. It's a disruption. And then he tells this young mother, a sword will pierce your own soul too. New moms who are in this room, what if you came up here on your baby dedication and Bethany stood here and said, this baby's going to cause you a lot of pain. It's going to hurt. It's going to be like a sword running through you. I think you'd be thinking it's time for a new children's pastor, right? It's a... <laughs> so, but think about what Mary's facing here. So one of the things we can first think of is we jump to the end of Jesus's life and we think about this idea of his mother standing and watching her own son dying and not only that she didn't just watch him die but she watched him be executed by a government who was on a false claim it pierces through her soul also if we look at times in Jesus's life we say that Mary's actually at times conflicted about Jesus there's things that he says and does that she's not too comfortable with in Matthew the book of Matthew Jesus said himself that he wasn't taken very seriously in his own home and then in, and then in Mark uh, Mary and his brothers thought Jesus was going a bit too far. He says that he's out of his mind. And so there's one time where he's teaching in a house and they go to the house and Mary's like, someone go in and get my son and stop him from doing that. Tell him his mom's here and I want to see him right now. Like Mary's not too comfortable all the time with what Jesus is doing. It's wrestling with her soul of who Jesus is and what he's saying and doing. And then we have Anna. And she also, like Simeon, is obedient and dedicated to God. Anna's in the temple as well. And she's there, living there, nearly her entire life. Uh, some say she was 84. Some say she could have been in her hundreds. Uh, but what we know is she was fasting and praying day and night in the temple. And then she, too, immediately recognized and believed that this baby was the Messiah that they had been waiting for. And you might have missed it, but I think there's some disruption that comes from Jesus with Anna as well. Because the next thing it says is that then she spoke to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Israel. It sounds a little bit like preaching. And that was not something women should be doing at this time and place and within this faith. It caused a problem. And this is the interruption and the disruption of Jesus. And then there's the Magi. They're wise. These are wise men devoted to their study and devoted to following the star. And they knew, they knew that this was going to lead them to the king. And they recognized the king immediately. It wasn't like they got to the place of the star and said, oh, I don't know about this baby. They knew it was Jesus, the Messiah. They had bowed down and they worshipped him. This was the one they were looking for. But they bring the disruption of Jesus as well. Because when they come looking for the baby, they go to the king. And people in the town, they said, where is this new king? This did not sit well with Herod. Like, Herod did not like the idea of something, someone else having his throne. So much he wasn't even comfortable with the idea of his own children having the throne after him. And now they're coming and saying, there's somebody from outside of your family line who's going to have this throne? And there's another disrupt, because Caesar Augustus, the one who's above Herod, Caesar was called the Son of God, Lord, Redeemer, Savior of the world. Sound familiar? Because now people are calling Jesus that. 
These are two political realms that are about to collide. The kingdom of God has literally started to come to earth. Jesus later said, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus started to bring heaven to earth and then asked the disciples to go out and grow that kingdom. This is treason to the Roman government, and it doesn't sit well today either. Two worlds collide, and the Magi are coming, and they're announcing this with their disruption. So we talked about Mary and Joseph's obedience. In in previous weeks, we talked about how they recognized Jesus, but there's more disruption that comes in their lives. An angel tells Joseph in a dream, you got to wake up and go out right away, and you're going to be a refugee in Egypt for a while. Then they intended after that to move back to Judea, the homeland, the place where the new king should be. And travel plans are changed, and they went back to the land they originally came from, the poor and despised town of Nazareth. And they went there with the one who's supposed to be the king of Judea and beyond. Like, it doesn't say this anywhere, but I wonder, as these parents are hearing this and doing this, they're like, wait, wait, we have the king, the king of Judea, and now we're going back to this hole that we just grew up in and just came from? Like, they want something better for their son. So there's one major character in the end of the Christmas story whose thoughts and actions still fit this pattern, but in reverse. And that's Herod. Herod was not obedient or dedicated to God. This is a man who wanted the throne for himself so much that he even killed his own son who was next in line for the throne. He does not recognize Jesus. Everybody else immediately is recognizing Jesus as the Messiah, but Herod has little idea of who he's looking for, so much that he has to just throw out a blanket statement saying, there's someone out there, I don't know who it is, to play it safe, go kill every boy that's out there, And he knew that he was picking some children that were older than Jesus, some that were younger than Jesus, but wanted to play it safe because he did not know who he was looking for. And he wasn't even willing to go look for Jesus because he sent his army out. It wasn't him. So Jesus brings disruption. Herod brings destruction. Jesus coming into the world put Herod on a path of destruction, and he did not want Jesus to have any rule, and he did not want to look for Jesus. Jesus made him so angry, he lashed out at the people he was supposed to be responsible for. So this is the unsettling story. Christ coming into the world and into our lives is very disruptive. When we recognize Jesus for who he is and follow him, he will disrupt our lives. This is the aftermath of Christmas. We love to anticipate the coming of Jesus, and then we love to rejoice in his coming, but allowing Jesus to bring disruption is not something many of us really want. I think that's why we don't read this next part of the Christmas story either that much. That's why we fall into a rut of just sitting around and we just wait for the second coming rather than enter into the disruption of following Jesus. It's nice to hear about a little baby. It's not so great to hear that he will end up overthrowing your lifestyle, end up throwing our traditions, and end up overthrowing our political understandings. The ways of Christ do not align with the ways of the world. That's disruptive. Knowing that we have a role in bringing the kingdom of heaven to the many kingdoms of earth, that's disruptive. 
especially because God's kingdom is often contrary to the norms of the circles we hang out in, the norms of our society, and it's disruptive to even our very own government. So of the characters that we talked about today, who do you think that your life most looks like? Mary and Joseph dropped and left everything behind to bring Jesus to the world. Simeon and Anna spent most to all of their time in the house of worship, praying and listening. The wise men put in mass amounts of time and traveled great lengths to bring honor and worship to Jesus. Herod didn't like the idea of Jesus taking his place and did not have the ability to recognize Jesus. So I'm not saying these are the only models of faith, but just within our story today, whose do you most reflect? Who, your life, who in, which character does it most reflect? The scary thing is I think a lot of us actually align most with Herod. I'm not saying that we have a room full of murders, or myself included that, but um, mine does a lot of the time. He didn't like the idea that Jesus was taking his place and didn't have the ability to recognize Jesus at time when he was even so close to him and others could easily find him. I said, I'm like Herod at times. This is especially when I want to be the one in charge and have control of my own life. In his book, Hidden Christmas, author and pastor Timothy Keller says this, If you want to be king and someone else comes along saying he's the king, then one of you has to give in. Only one person can sit on an absolute throne. As we have seen, Jesus came to us claiming to be God, the king. He said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father, mother, wife, and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus says something extreme to the point, but it's an example of putting him first in our life. Similarly, when it comes to our ability to recognize Jesus, we can recognize Jesus so poorly just like Herod did. When Jesus' Jesus's own words calls us out on this one, in Matthew, Jesus says, For I was hungry, and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger, and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes, and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison, and you did not look after me. Truly I tell you, whatever you do to any one of these, you did not do for me. The Bible and the life of Jesus should be unsettling. Just this week, I saw a Christian author post something from today's passage. He said that, basically, he said Jesus was a refugee. And people who align with the Christian faith got upset with this statement and said, what, where did you get that from? I, mean, I don't know about you guys, but I think we just read that today because we don't go on and we don't read that next part of the story. When Jesus walked the earth, he didn't sit well with religious people, and he still doesn't sit well with many churchgoers today. Why? Because we don't like what comes after Christmas. We don't want to leave the celebration. We don't want to come down from the mountaintop experience. We don't want to clean up the mess. We would rather just sit and wait till the next coming. But the Bible shows us it doesn't work that way. Jesus calls for Christians to drop familiarity and to drop comfort to be disciples. As Christians, we are called to strive toward living the way Jesus lived and follow the things that he teaches. So how do we live it? This is our focus this year at City Church. Love God, love others, live it. So are you willing to let Jesus disrupt your life? Are you willing to follow him and be receptive of the Holy Spirit and obedient to God? 
Before you answer those questions, you need to wrestle with who Jesus was and what he did. You need to read Beyond the Manger story. Read the books of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Read Between the Manger and the Cross. Remember, Jesus does, not come, Jesus does come with a sword that pierces your soul. The inner wrestle with Jesus will hurt the same way that Mary faced it. This is the cost of following Jesus. So as you guys enter into your new year, take some time to read about the person Jesus. Read the gospel books or listen to a recording while you're on a walk with your dog or driving your car. Question why Jesus did the things that he did. Question who he hung out with and who he spent his time with. Look at the disruption that follows him and the things he said that disrupted lives, disrupted religious thought, disrupted practice, and disrupted political views. Then ask yourself, if I followed Jesus, if I thought of him as my mentor and tried to live my life the way he did things, what would I have to give up or change? So I'm not talking about the stereotypical answers of, that we hear from when we were in youth groups, sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Those, yeah, those might be things, but what are some of the really hard things that are disruptive? Maybe it's spending less time with people who will advance your life and spending more time with people who are looked down upon. Kids and students, maybe it's sitting with a person who always sits alone in the lunchroom. Or maybe it's encouraging and supporting the weakest athlete on your athletic team. Maybe it's spending less time at work and less time at extracurricular school activities and more time in prayer, devotion, and in rest. Maybe it's taking a pay cut to be involved in a vocation that benefits other people. Maybe it's downsizing your house or car or giving away a bunch of your stuff. Maybe it's using your vacation time to go on a spiritual retreat with your family or even by yourself. What in your life does Jesus want to disrupt? This week, wrestle with that. Think about that. It's likely something not on this list, and it's likely you already know what it is because the Spirit moves us in that way. Nobody likes disruption. But what the characters in today's passage show is that the one character who did not accept the disruption of Jesus brought destruction. Destruction is the opposite of peace. Disruption will hurt for a little bit, but it will bring peace. It'll bring peace to your soul, peace in your life, and it's intended to bring peace on earth. Henry Wadsworth Longfellow wrote a dark poem that has been revised into a Christmas carol. The original poem ended with these two stanzas. And in despair, I bowed my head. There is no peace on earth, I said. For hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. Then peal the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, and nor doth he sleep. The wrong shall fail, and the right prevail. With peace on earth, goodwill to men. Let's pray. God, we reluctantly thank you for bringing disruption into our world through you as a baby. We thank you for doing that. We thank you for the times that we need to reflect and refocus on who we are as your children. We ask that you give us courage as we enter into this new year to do the things that you want us to do and live the way you want us to live. 
We thank you for being the king, so we don't have to be the king. And we continually ask for your strength. Amen.